It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 200, The Death of King Josiah. The Assyrian Empire was crushed at Asher and Nineveh, but remnants of the civilization fled west and set up a new capital at Haran, rallying under their new king, Asher Ubalit. Asher Ubalit continues to send forth for help from Egypt. Pharaoh Somaticus has died in Egypt, but his son has that desire for war that young kings seem to have. Upon his coronation, Pharaoh Necho sends forth a military expedition and puts Egypt's hand in the world campaign on the side of the current loser, Assyria. His forces arrive in Haran to prop up the Assyrians, but his forces were too small to create enough of an impact. The Assyrians and Egyptians were forced to withdraw further west, fleeing to Carchemish, a city now in Turkey on the border with Syria. It's this setting we cover the rest of Josiah's reign, and going into the next episode, a major battle in world history in the next episode. Today, a large Turkish military complex rests upon ancient Carchemish, preventing major excavations, but it's been the scene of at least three major archaeological expeditions, one led by T.E. Lawrence of the Lawrence of Arabia fame. The Assyrians are at their end. The last city in their civilization was on the verge of collapse. But instead of giving up, Asher Ubalit decides to stand and is determined to restore Assyria's glory. The temptation of spoils and glory are enough for Pharaoh Necho, but the problem is that Pharaoh Necho is siding with the nation God has judged. Further, he has little military experience. Necho decides to send forth more soldiers and go all in for the Assyrians. So now that we're at Carchemish, we need to stop here because this is where our story overlaps with King Josiah and his clash with Necho. Let's cover a bit on Necho. So Pharaoh Necho marches north to help the Assyrians and lead an alliance with the peoples of the old Philistine territory. And this is where we learn of his love for the sea and his obsession with it. Necho actually starts a project to build a great canal in the Suez. In fact, though he doesn't complete it, he's credited with the starting of the predecessor of the Suez Canal. Further, while he's in the old Philistine territory, he commissions one of the first, if not the first, circumnavigation of the continent of Africa. Further, there is some speculation that he was part of the design of the first trireme. That's just speculation, but um, some historians have suggested that he was part of the design of the first three-decker oared vessel. Necho's fame is spreading, and people are getting impressed with him, but his love of war is going to get him in trouble. According to Herodotus, he abandons his work on the Suez, the future Suez Canal when war is calling him. But in reality, this conflict in Syria is going to range for at least five years. Here is what Herodotus says as a swift comment to move to his next section of writing. Necho then stopped work on the canal and turned to war. Some of his triremes were constructed by the Northern Sea and some of the Arabian Gulf by the coast of the Sea of Eretmas. 
the windlasses for beaching the ships can still be seen. Now picture Necho's army marching north along the sea route up the Mediterranean along the border with Israel, threatening enough for Josiah to be concerned as we cover Josiah's perspective. Despite the chaos around him, Josiah has enjoyed a really peaceful reign. He's destroyed idol worship in Israel, and his country has nearly doubled in size due to the evacuation of the Assyrians. His nation is prosperous, though not wealthy as the golden days, but prosperous and at peace. It appears Josiah has wisely stayed out of alliances and the wars of the nations. He is a godly man, and he walks in humility. He is nationalistic and has a nation to protect and defend, a nation that has just been reborn. So when Egypt marches an army adjacent to his border, he has grave concerns of invasion, and he mobilizes his army. Necho's march is swift and urgent because his military state is dire. Carchemish is threatened, and he could take the long route up and over Megiddo and Galilee, um, up through the region of Tyre and around, but it'd take a lot longer. Necho's stress is high and is extremely concerned his alliance with Assyria is completely at stake because of the threat of the Babylonians pushing west. He needs to march through Israel's territory to get there faster. He shows up with, let's say, 40,000 soldiers, and Josiah has 20. Few of these soldiers have had any battlefield experience. Necho was pressed to relieve his ally and military state. Josiah shows up at the borders of his country concerned about invasion. Though it was clear the Egyptians were not bent on invading Israel because Jerusalem would have been their true target, but Josiah was obstinate. No army should pass into his territory. Necho had a very powerful army, though inexperienced, but it appears he relied on diplomacy to win his victories, and he was a builder, and he actually had very little military experience, and he also relied on mercenaries. And when he shows up with his army, they're not veterans, but paid soldiers. And while Josiah's army wasn't made for set-piece battles, it's at Megiddo, the future site of Armageddon, where the Egyptian army shows up. Necho's urgent to get to Carchemish, and he must march through Israel. Josiah is not willing to agree to this, and this is where conflict ensues between godly Josiah and the ungodly Necho. 2 Chronicles 35.20 After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by the Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. But he sent messengers to him, saying, What have I to do with you, king of Judah? I have not come against you this day, but against the house which I have made war. For God commanded me to make haste. Refrain from meddling with God who is with me, lest he destroy you. So this is the preamble to the battle. We have the historical setting, the urgency, the reason for Necho's march, and I picture a whole lot more dialogue here. Josiah standing with his army in the road in, the, in this uh, kind of a tight passageway just inside his border. Necho orders his soldiers to march, and as they cross the border, he effectively declared war on Israel. Josiah probably sent messenger after messenger telling Necho that he was marching into not only his territory, but war. Warning after warning Josiah sent until Josiah set his heart to destroying the invaders of his country or to teach them a painful lesson. The stage was set. Necho marches with his soldiers with archers in reserve. The narrow pass into the fields of Megiddo 
allowed for Josiah to make use of his inferior numbers. Further, Josiah desired to approach Necho himself and to take him prisoner or defeat him personally to end the conflict and send him packing. Giving his loathing for anyone who didn't worship his God, I wouldn't doubt he would have killed Necho himself if he could have. And the invasion was potentially enough for Josiah to justify the destruction of the entirety of Necho's army. I mean, it's that hot-blooded, you get Josiah fired up, and he's on. And there's no talking him down. Almost wanting to attack Necho himself like a secret commando, Josiah dresses like a common soldier, which never seems to go well in Israel's history, and charges. Second Chronicles 35.23 Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguising himself so that he must fight with him, and did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God, so he came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. So, I mean, the, the fact that it says that Necho spoke the words of God is kind of mind-boggling. That's that whole thing where God can speak through anybody. But it was also Rabshakeh who said, God told me to invade Israel. I don't trust Rabshakeh. It never says in the Bible that God spoke through Rabshakeh. It says that Rabshakeh, this is when they invaded um, in the time of Hezekiah, that Rabshakeh said that God told me to invade. But it never says that God spoke through Rabshakeh. In this case, it actually says that Necho says that God told me to get here quickly. And you're not my enemy, but I was to march, and God told me to come here. Now, and he says, don't attack me. And further, right here, it says, Josiah did not heed the words of Necho from the mouth of God. So it, it says it. <laughs> so Necho is speaking from the mouth of God. I've got to think there's a thousand things going on with Josiah. His, his counselors are probably saying, don't do this. His advisors saying, don't do it. There's a still small voice talking to him. There's a, a grating of a conviction on his heart, but something in that zeal of his has triggered off every emotion. And he was determined to attack. The battle ensues. But Egypt was ever powerful with their distant weaponry, devastating the ranks of Israel with archers, including Israel's great king. Second Chronicles 35:24. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I am severely wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought it to Jerusalem. So he died and was buried in one of the tombs of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. I mean, are you freaked out what I just read? Because I am. I mean, I've studied this thing. I've read it. I've tried to find every commenter I can find to make any sense of this. Most students of the Bible are disturbed by this scene. How could the godly king die in such a way? I don't have the answers. Um, suggested reasons, which we'll end the episode with. But I say it disturbs me too. It should disturb you that Josiah dies in battle during an encroachment of his land. What's left of Josiah's army escapes to Jerusalem, and one of Josiah's sons is crowned king. 
while Necho is marching to the relief of Carchemish and the Assyrians. But the battle disastrously slows the march of Necho, because Carchemish falls to one of the generals of Nabopolassar. So at this point, the Assyrians are non-existent to history. We never hear of Asher Ubalit again. He literally disappears from history with the arrest of the Assyrian civilization at this time. As Necho marches to the aid of Carchemish, he actually retakes it from that general of the Babylonians, but the Assyrians are no longer a people to be reckoned with. The Egyptians push back the Babylonians, but mainly because it's just a, a small section of its total army led under one of its generals. Nabopolassar at this stage steps back and spends more time in his lands, almost leaving Syria to the Egyptians. In the end, the Assyrians were conquered, and that was the goal. But his son, the royal prince, has something else in mind. For the next four years, Syria will be in Egyptian hands, and Judah as well. Four years later, Nebuchadnezzar, the heir to Nebuchadnezzar, will march west to remove the Egyptians from Syria. In the meantime, Egypt rules over Judah and Syria, and Necho believes he has restored the ancient lands of the great pharaohs and rebirthed a true Egyptian empire. Let's conclude this episode by attempting to make sense of the death of Josiah. When bad things happen to good people, we as humans absolutely struggle to understand the why question. Some books and movies have tried to grapple with this question, and the best answer is the heavenly one. We don't have all the answers, but there's a bigger story above it all that we will know one day. The Shack was one of those movies. It took the premature death of a child for a father to come to the Lord. Another recent was the movie Greater. The premature death of one of the greatest college football walk-ons in history could only be understood when we look at the impact of his life and the legacy that he left, much less the people touched by the movie about his own life. The message in this movie at the end was, we trust, no matter the situation. The events after Josiah's death will be tragic and lead to the end of the nation of Israel in this era of history. But why did he die? King David made a lot of mistakes. Why did he not die? He could have lost his army in the spring when the kings go to war while he was in sin, but he didn't. There are so many other examples of when he could have died. Let's cover what Josiah did wrong. Number one, he didn't pray. <laughs> That's almost too simple. But King David wrote a psalm about every major moment in his life, and we have a record of him praying and singing and crying out to God. We have no record of Josiah praying at all. He does read, I think he does a formal prayer when he consecrates the temple, um, but let's just say we don't have personal prayers of his. Specifically, we don't have a prayer before this battle. There's no psalm or proverb or anything of the sort written by King Josiah. We do know he read the book of the covenant to everyone. And this is important. Now I'm going to go down the road of speculation here. Could it be he was the best you could get in the Old Testament? His zeal was unbelievable. Um, but could he be one of those with no personality, little words, Josiah, but big actions? You know, uh, um, very faithful to the book and the word, 
but he was lacking in that new covenant relationship that David understood. Perfect in decisions, but hopeless in relationship. Was he one of those guys who couldn't hold a conversation over coffee? We have record of Manasseh actually praying. Hezekiah prayed. Solomon prayed. Why don't we have anything from Josiah? Do we have a man of zeal with no personality or communication skills? A lack of history of intimacy with God? What about a man of the book that he was, but not a man of the spirit? My worshipers will worship me in spirit and truth. A man of truth without the spirit? This is just speculation because there's no record of him praying, especially prior to the battle with Necho, which led to the end of his life. And these are all just me trying to make sense, and I'm just almost being a little transparent here. I'm trying to make sense of, on surface value, it doesn't make sense. That why would there not be grace for Josiah here? Um, that he would just maybe get wounded and make it out alive and then come back another day. Um, so this is me trying to make sense of it. Um, but in the middle of that, me trying to make sense of it, when things don't make sense in the Bible... The more we chew on it, the more we pray about it, the more we um, ask God about it, I feel like he teaches us something. So I'm just sharing my personal experience of, because um, it took me about a month of chewing on and asking God over and over, why did he die? Why, how did he die? What, it, what went on? Um, so I'm just sharing my thoughts. So Along these lines, we must always pray prior to any physical or spiritual battle. It's required. I asked a Christian friend of mine to tell me something about spiritual warfare um, that he's learned in his role since he's dealing with life and death situations, sometimes daily, um, because he works in the police force. He had a lot of wisdom to share, but one thing struck me. He said, always go into engagements prayed up, covered and blessed by God. And this is what Josiah did not do. He was not covered in prayer. He assumed he was covered prior to battle. He assumed this encroachment on his territory was his legal right to attack. The right thing to do would have been to allow the Egyptians to pass. The Egyptians' army's fate was sealed. No Egyptian army could have sustained in over a thousand miles from its homeland and continued to, to wage a battle against the Babylonians. It's just almost common sense there. And also they're siding with the nation that's being judged. It's too far from its logistic center and further too close to an enemy fighting to drive off its hated enemies, the Assyrians. Also, the Egyptians were doomed if they fought with Assyria, which is what they did. Josiah didn't need to fight this battle. Always zealous, Josiah should have showed greater strength by being meek and humble and not fighting a superior force without God's approval. There is something else here. The death of Josiah mirrors another king's death. It's Ahab. Ahab went into battle disguised as a common soldier, and he was shot with an arrow. Yet Ahab was as wicked a king there ever was. Ahab went into battle with Jehoshaphat, a king from the north and from the south. Ahab and Jehoshaphat inquired of God before the battle, and one of the prophets said there was a lying spirit speaking to the kings, telling them to go to war. In the end, they went to war, and Ahab, disguised as a commoner, was shot by an arrow. In the account of Josiah, he dressed as a commoner and was shot by an arrow. The Hebrew words are about the same. There's a clear parallel. 
And with this reference, we can clearly see Josiah was probably convinced by the liar of liars, the father of lies, the devil to go into battle. Somewhere, most likely through intense spiritual warfare, we can see the devil convinced Josiah through lies and pressure, aggressive nationalistic tendencies, a tinge of superiority, pride, arrogance, and maybe even a little racism. And let's throw in this excessive zeal that, that shut down his spiritual hearing and it led him to go to war. All of these heartstrings and strongholds pulled at his heart to go to battle. And when he did, he died just like Ahab. I like to go further and try to learn as much as possible from these challenging stories. Where people do great and where people really slip up. What they prayed and believed and thought. What their theology was and, and how God answered their prayers. Or they didn't get answers in this case because they didn't pray. We have limited information in the Bible on the death of Josiah, but this is a clue because it's a tie into another scene. Historically, we can understand that there was an invasion of his land. The fact that he marched into battle in disguise is another clue. How about this lack of inquiry of God prior to the battle? Most commentaries point to zeal gone bad, a zeal without wisdom. In the raw sense of the word, Josiah went into battle of his choosing, not God's choosing, without his armor, putting down his crown for his own will, dressed as a commoner without prayer covering, without God's protection. It's such a warning to us. No matter if we are walking in grace and in the love of our Lord, we know him and walk with him. We should never ever fight the battles the Lord is not fighting. To rush into harm's way is truly into harm's way, but without God's protection. If God has called us into the fire, then we're going straight into fire. But if conflict is before us, but the Lord is not in it, stay your sword and do not fight the battle the Lord is not fighting, and do not go into battle without your armor. 